Good morning. Um, I'd like to offer my gratitude to Naomi and the band as well. I thought you did fantastic today. Really, really good. Do, do you know, I was thinking that um, if you want to overcome sin in your life, you know, really want to overcome sin. We've just been singing about making Jesus your everything. When Jesus becomes your everything, you don't want sin in your life. Because sin has to do about me, satisfying me, my, my needs. When you got him, you want to satisfy him and please him. And so sin takes a backward step. And might be some choices along the path for you there. What do you want most in your life? When you get him, you don't want anything else. Anything. He's the everything. Um, so th- today, today's title is, um, What's the Point of the Lord's Supper? And we, you know we're going through 1 Corinthians, and chapter 11 has quite a lot to say about the institution and the conduct of believers at the Lord's Supper. And when we say the Lord's Supper, I don't know where we get that expression from, but it's written in my Bible. They must have got it from somewhere. But you know, when we talk about communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, that's the Greek word for thanksgiving, Holy Communion, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's the Mass. You can probably think of a few, um, a few uh, adjectives. To, is that the right word to describe what the Lord's Supper is? Whatever. Words, anyway. Uh, so, um, so we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I just, I just want to say that you can't look at the Lord's Supper without looking at the Passover. And actually, the truth is, the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, we need to be asking ourselves, what is this saying to me about Jesus? And this is called typology. So, a biblical typology. So, so, for example, and it is endless, the typology that we get from the Old Testament in the, in the New Testament. So, so, for example, Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and nights without food and water to seek God. I'm just giving you one or two examples. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We got 12 tribes of Israel. We have 12 apostles. Um, Dale spoke to us recently about when people got bitten by snakes that you lifted up this cross with, with a bronze serpent on it so that they were healed. Again, this picture of the crucifixion. Just endless, endless pictorial typology, types in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and his complete work upon the cross. And uh, it's clear because when the, the writers of the New Testament were writing the New Testament, they didn't have any New Testament scriptures. They wrote the New Testament scriptures. What they had was the Old Testament scriptures. So when they're looking into the Old Testament, they are looking at all the pointers through the prophets, through the, the, the Moses and the Torah, all pointing 
to Jesus. And the Bible describes the New Covenant, the New Testament, as being far superior to the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. Nonetheless, when we look at the Old Testament, really, really helpful to help us to understand what the New Testament is, is saying. And Paul uses this when he talks about Holy Communion. So, um, there was the example, for, for example, where um, uh, Isaac was offering up his son. Remember, he was offering up his son to God out of obedience to what God had said. And God says, no, right the last minute, he presented to him. What did he present to him? A lamb. A lamb that, that was the substitute that took the place because he was looking to see whether Abraham gave his full heart and his devotion to God. And when he realized that he did, he provided the lamb that took the place of Isaac, his son. Again, a picture of Jesus, the lamb of God taking the place. And so um, to understand the... Um, to understand... Uh, Communion. We need to look at the Passover. So before we read the scripture in, in Corinthians, this is, uh, this is what we're going to do. So I just want to give you a brief background to the, to the position before we get, we get to the Passover. So the, the children of Israel had ended up in Egypt because they'd been escaping famine. And it were told that 70 persons, Jacob and all his sons, including Joseph, were in Egypt as escaping what was then known as the... As, as, a worldwide famine in the then-known world. And uh, God saved his people, and Joseph, uh, Joseph uh, rose to become the prime minister of Egypt, and he, he had authority for distributing the grain across the then-known world. And it, it transpired that God's people prospered in the land of Egypt. In fact, they prospered so much that it says that uh, they increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. They went with 70, and when they came out, there was a million and a half plus. There was a lot of them. There's a lot of people. And the first pharaoh that knew Joseph, made him prime minister, died. And there was a number of pharaohs in between. And then the, they forgot all about Joseph and what he'd done for them. And they said, this, this people are growing so mightily, if we're not careful, they're going to overtake us. And they, they are going to join their, our enemies and defeat us. Therefore, we will subjugate them and make them slaves. Which is what they did. And they got them making bricks. And it said uh, that... Their affliction grew so much that they put so much harder and harder work and affliction upon them that they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. The picture is one of complete slavery and subjugation where they are being crushed by an oppressor. And this went on for a long time, hundreds of years, 400 years. And... You know, we haven't, um, probably not many of us, if any, have known what slavery is, where you're subject to the slavery of another. But if you're like me, you know what slavery to sin is. And it is hard, 
bitter affliction that is never ending grows harder and harder until you find Jesus in your life and his salvation. So God saw the oppression of his people. He always does. And he heard their cry. He always hears our cry. And he raised up. Another, this is another typology. He raised up a Messiah-type figure in Moses. A type of Christ who himself was concerned about the plight of his people. And under Moses' instruction, God sent him, he sent Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. In this picture, Pharaoh is representing, Satan to us now, is representing Satan and the oppression of sin and slavery and bondage and affliction in our lives. And God is saying, he wants his people free. So he sends Moses off to, um, uh, yeah, Moses off to Pharaoh, and he says, "Let my people go." And Moses said, "But I'm, I don't think you quite understand. How will they? Why will he listen to me? I'm just a man. We don't have time to go through all of the episodes that demonstrated to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians that God." was God. And when he gave a word and instructed, he was going to complete and fulfill his word. And you know that there was the plagues. The Nile was turned into blood. It killed everything. And every time uh, Pharaoh found reason not to, not to let uh, God's people go, there was a plague of frogs, a plague of lice, a plague of flies. We don't like flies in our family. When there's a fly, we all know about it. <laughs> don't we, Kim? <laughs> Especially if they're wasps or hornets. Fifth plague, livestock were diseased and died. All of them, except for those of the children of Israel. Boils. I've only ever had one boil. It was so painful. So painful when I was a student. Probably wasn't eating properly or something, but they had a plague of boils. Hail and fire struck the crops and the livestock, killed it. Locusts ate everything in their path. A thick darkness for three days. All of them came to pass, as God said. You would think by now there was a message coming across. You'd think by now the, the Egyptians would have realized that God was God. Pharaoh wasn't. And all the time he's making the life of the Israelites, the Jews, harder and harder. And then the final plague. 
which is almost unspeakable, but that every firstborn male of everything, humans as well as animals, would die. But there was a way out. And this is the story of the Passover. And we're going to read this now. Now the Lord... Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorsteps and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. There, then they shall eat flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals and your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance called the Passover feast. And we read a lot about it in the New Testament. So God sent his final warning to Pharaoh. And he said to them, if, you don't, if I don't see the blood of the lamb upon the doorposts and the lintels, the firstborn will die in every family, of every family and every animal. They will have seen the, the Jews painting 
the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts and upon the lintels. Interestingly, marked the beginning of a new calendar. This was such a momentous day. It set up, God instituted a new calendar. This was, this was a new beginning for the children of Israel. They were going to leave Egypt and march into the promised land. Take over the land that God promised them. They weren't perfect at this point. I want you to understand, they, they weren't without sinfulness. In fact, we read about rebellion in the children of Israel. It goes on for decades. They weren't without sin. But the point is, the blood of the Lamb marked them out as God's own on the door. And it was then, if you were in the house, you were saved. In the church, we've got this topsy-turvy where we think somehow have to be, behave before you believe and then you belong. Not here. You belong because you're in the house. And then you believe. And when you believe, that's when you start to reorder your life to behave so that you, you please God. It's been my own experience. That's why it's important that everyone that's not part of the church has a sense of belonging, that we love them. You know how people belong? You love them. We love them. We love it that you're here with us. You might not share all our views, but we love it that you're part of us. By the way, this is what we believe. Jesus died on the cross. We're coming to that. Every, every family was to take a lamb according to the number of persons. The lamb was to be without blemish. Without, perfect in every way. It's to be killed at twilight. And God sent, if you didn't have the blood on the, on the doorpost, God sent the angel of death, as which we've just been speaking about. It's tragic to me that Egypt had all those plagues that went before. And this one, they ignored them all, but this was so costly to them, personally. And we see that it's costly to us if we don't accept Jesus in our lives. But where the blood of the Lamb was, the angel of death passed over. And you know the story, they... It was called the Exodus. They fled out of Egypt and ultimately came to the Promised Land. What's that got to do with communion? Well, quite a lot. The correlation between the Passover and the Lord Jesus, instituting the Lord's Supper, is astonishing if you take any time to study it. Just want to pick out some key, for me, what were key issues. Like the Passover, it was God himself in Jesus that instituted the Lord's Supper. God gave the instructions for Passover. God gave the instructions for communion, the Lord's Supper, to his disciples. 
If God tells us to do something, it's important to us that we do. We were talking and praying only this morning. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word in every area of our lives. Moreover, it's important because only Jesus can save. Jesus instituted the Last Supper on the day of the Passover meal. He sent his disciples off to go and prepare the Passover meal. That's exactly what they were celebrating on the weekend that he was crucified. And at the meal, the night before he was crucified, Jesus gave the instructions. By the way, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. They hadn't heard prophetic words for 400 years. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus became the sacrificial Lamb of God. We don't hear Jesus making mention of the lamb at the Passover meal. He is the lamb. He is the lamb. The lamb of God himself, the son of God, was at the Passover meal where Jesus instituted Holy Communion. He was totally unblemished. It's just amazing. Totally Unblemished, the Son of God. He has power over sin and death. The breaking of the bread is to represent the brutal manner in which Jesus' body would be beaten and tortured. And like the Passover lamb, not one bone of his body was broken. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or punishment for our peace was laid upon him. One sacrifice for all time, for all mankind. At the cross. Drinking of the wine from the cup is to represent the blood of Jesus' blood being shed for us. The Bible's clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The bread and the wine are symbols. We respect the Roman Catholic Church. Got some lovely Roman Catholic friends. I don't join with them, we don't join with them in believing that the bread and the blood and the wine become the body, literally the, the body and the blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. They are symbols for us, but nonetheless, hugely powerful symbols of Jesus' death. Like the Passover, we come to the Lord's table with faith. Faith. We believe 
Jesus' body was given for us. His blood was shed for us. They believed by painting it upon the doorposts. When you personally accept, that's confess with your lips that Jesus Christ died for me in my place, and we've sung about it this morning, shedding his blood for my sins that I might be set free from the slavery of sin and death. That's what Jesus is saying that we are to remember when we come to the Lord's table. And I want to say that when we accept him as our personal saviour, we become a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It's like a new calendar in our lives. A complete new start for all time. Even when we get things wrong, it doesn't change that fact as it didn't for the children of Israel. It is a new start. The old has gone, the new has come. We are born again, the Bible says. How often are we to eat this bread and drink this cup? They celebrate the Passover once a year. In the New Testament, we read that the disciples went from house to house breaking bread. They did it daily. We don't do it daily, but there's nothing to stop you doing this in your own homes. You don't need a priest to preside over the Lord's Supper. You can do it yourself. Do it with your neighbours. Do it in your groups. Let's read what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, this is not the whole bit, but we're running out of time. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... In fact, can I invite Adam and Ian up? They're going to break bread as I, just as I read this out. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night on which he was betrayed, took bread. This is the part, same night as the Passover took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul also admonished the Corinthian church because there was division. That it's not right for you to come to this table when there's division. If you're hungry, eat at home, then come to the table. Don't come drunk. Don't drink it to get drunk. Don't eat it in an unworthy manner. Examine yourselves. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We don't have in our church 
liturgy like they have in, for example, the established church, Church of England. But when I was in the Church of England, I found it very helpful, the liturgy. Because you would go through some prayers of repentance. And it would help me because the Holy Spirit would illumine, bring to my mind where perhaps I needed to ask for God's forgiveness, where I'd wronged somebody or offended God. I just want to take that moment now before we come to the Lord's table. And we're all invited. Let's just ask God. Let's examine ourselves. Say, Lord, will you show me whether I need to forgive someone? Or if I've offended you? Let's do that now. By the way, and if he says, if he shows you, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. You might need to go and say sorry at some convenient point to someone or put something right. And if you're, if you would describe yourself as someone that doesn't know Jesus, an opportunity to come to this table. Say, Lord, I believe that you died for me upon the cross. You are the sacrificial lamb of God and you take away my sin. I believe. If you do that, you're so welcome to come and participate. Tell somebody what you've done. So let's come up. Um, Ian's introduced a new system. We've got these little cups now, which is very nice. Come and collect your little cup. Come back to your little groups. Be good to pray for one another. If the band could eat theirs and maybe come up and lead us in some worship, that would be really good. Amen.